What Came Next is intended for mature audiences only. Episodes discuss topics that can be triggering, such as emotional, physical, and sexual violence, animal abuse, suicide, and murder. I am not a therapist, nor am I a doctor. If you're in need of support, please visit somethingwaswrong.com forward slash resources for a list of nonprofit organizations that can help. Opinions expressed by my guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of myself or Broken Cycle Media. Resources and source material are linked in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, friends. This is Amy B. Chesler, author, advocate, and your host of What Came Next. This week is going to be a little bit different. We've decided to have a Q&A episode. I want to send a big thank you to everyone who wrote in questions, either on my Instagram or on the What Came Next podcast Instagram, which can be found at whatcamenext underscore podcast. We got some really good questions. I think you're going to want to hear the answers to these. Here it goes. First question that we got was, how many episodes are going to be released this year in 2024? As of right now, we've slated an episode a week. So that should be 52 episodes this year. We don't have any current plans of taking any weeks off. The next question we got was, how do you find your guests? Now, being in a space where I can actually consume true crime, I'm witnessing it with a much different perspective as a co-victim of murder. And when I watch something that either generally focuses on the perpetrator or just gives a tiny glimpse of what it was like to survive that sort of tragedy, I will do my best to reach out to survivors to get a hold of them either through social media or through professional efforts. So that is one way we get guests. I've been really lucky and honored to snag some absolutely mind-blowing and impactful conversations that way. At this very moment, we don't have a very regimented process of receiving submissions for what came next. But one way people can submit is DMing us on Instagram. We've received a few submissions via DM. And then, of course, on the Something Was Wrong website, you can submit your story. We are now going through that process of finding stories in that submission process that are better fitting for what came next as opposed to Something Was Wrong. So although that is the Something Was Wrong submission method, you can still submit for what came next through that process as well. In that vein, I have to say a huge thank you to Tiffany for opening up her platform and incredible survivor connections she's made on Something Was Wrong to What Came Next for our update episodes, which you'll be getting a lot more of in the coming months. We receive stories and impactful survivors' experiences in a lot of ways, and we're open to finding more. If there is a guest that you would love to hear from on What Came Next, we're also always taking suggestions, so please reach out. We're also open to telling advocate stories on what came next now. 
we are trying to broaden the scope of survivors and or impactful people in this space that can give us a unique and hearty perspective on ethics in true crime and survivorship in trauma. Another really beautiful way that I've met some of my other guests is through different guests that I've had the privilege of speaking to. For example, I should probably take the opportunity to give a huge nod to John Michael Lander, whose episode of What Came Next was entitled An Athlete's Silence. After our conversation, he said, you know, I've got so many people you should talk to. And I think he supplied me with about 10% of my interview guests. So sometimes you end a conversation and someone says, I've got somebody you got to speak to. That is another really beautiful way that I am connected to my guests. And that actually just fortifies the bonds that we have that tie all of us together. This next question is extremely appreciated, and it comes from a longtime listener that I have had the opportunity and the honor of knowing from Something Was Wrong, and she is a massive supporter of what came next. Carrie, thank you so much for this question. She asked, will you be providing updates on some of your guests? Yeah, absolutely. As of right now, the show is pretty new, so we haven't had any major updates to share on what came next guests. We absolutely will be sharing many more Something Was Wrong updates. We have several really hard-hitting stories to update you guys on. But in the distant future, once What Came Next has been in production for a little bit longer and our guests might have things to share that they'd like to illuminate the audience on, then we will turn to What Came Next updates as well. I love this question. It is, what's the process of making an episode like? It either starts with asking a guest to be on the show, or it is receiving a submission from a guest that would like to be on the show and then going through the process with them. It generally takes about an hour and a half to two hours to record. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes the guest and I sit there and chat like we've known each other forever, and it's hard to avoid that because we have so much in common. Once the interview is done, I will turn it into a transcript through software. I will then choose which words and which portions to keep in the interview. Sometimes I'll rearrange pieces because it's really hard to stay linear when you're talking about trauma and your own experiences. Things will come up while you're talking. Then once I position it in the most linear and cohesive way we can, I hand it off to my sound editor. Steven is amazing. He takes it, makes it fancy for us. We go through rounds of editing, making sure it sounds great. And then it goes up. We are really appreciative of the whole process. It really is a beautiful way to get to know someone's story and to understand the intricacies of survivorship. The next question that we got was, what stage in making the show is your favorite and why? If I'm being really honest, of course, my favorite stage is interviews. Finding people and getting a hold of them can be difficult sometimes. Not everybody responds. And then figuring out what we're going to keep in the episode and how we're going to form it is fun. It's kind of like a puzzle for me. But my absolute favorite part of the whole show is meeting and talking to other survivors that are utilizing their platforms or lives even to make change. That is just so impactful. It changes my life every day, their perspective, their empathy, and their warmth. I feel like we're creating a second chapter of the Something Was Wrong sorority 
it just feels beautiful. I love all of the people that I've spoken to deeply. My heart has opened to all of them, and it makes me so honored that they would trust me with their stories in such an intimate setting and way. This is a fun question. It says, how do you name podcast episodes? It's pretty simple, although it is also a little intricate at the same time. Simply put, we go through the dialogue from the episode and we pick an impactful phrase from what my guest has said. Most of the time, I try to select a phrase that not only encompasses their journey or a theme that is present throughout their journey, but I also like to name it something that will make the guest proud to share. I generally want to use the title to honor that guest and honor a portion of their journey that really stands out to me. So that's how I name the podcast episodes. Thank you for asking that. Next question is, if you could interview anyone, living or deceased, for what came next, who would it be and why? That is a really hard question. There are many answers to this. I could take it so many different ways, and I probably will take them all those different ways because that's how my brain works. My first inclination is to say Martin Luther King Jr., and that is not to be cliche. He is an absolute hero of mine. I'm driven by and always in awe of people who can rise above societal and environmental challenges and still be true to who they are and what they know is good and better for society. I would also say, of course, there's always the Queen Oprah, Tiffany's hero. Oprah is also very open about the abuse that she's faced in her childhood She has transcended so much and created so much joy and good in this world that I have an infinite number of questions for her as well. I think I'd like to talk to Yoko Ono. I know that sounds a little wild. John Lennon's death was catastrophic, but his impact in the music industry was absolutely infinite. That'd be a really interesting conversation as well, I believe. On the flip side, because I love reality TV, I would love to interview Whitney Rose from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I love the Real Housewives franchise. One of my first interviews was with Koa Johnson, who is Jen Shaw's ex-assistant. But Whitney Rose, she has worked really hard to transcend some very serious childhood abuse. And I'd love to talk to her more about her process and what it's been like to share on a major platform that is not related to true crime or victimhood or survivorship. Another survivor that I often think about and would love the chance to speak to is Bergen Hartman, who is Phil Hartman and Bryn Hartman's daughter. Phil was sadly murdered by his wife, not far from where I grew up, actually. I know that Bergen is a co-victim of murder and familicide. I have a lot of questions and I have a lot of empathy for her journey. I would love to speak to her. Another survivor that I really love to talk to is Alea Eastman. She is also a fabulous activist for gun control. She survived the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas school shooting and now she uses her voice to pursue legal change and advocacy. And I I'm so blown away by her journey and her strength, and I would love to talk to her about her experiences, and I would love to highlight the need for the conversations to continue around this subject. 
Of course, there are so many more people that I would love to speak to, but those are a few of them. I got a really great question. It is, what is something you've learned from someone you've interviewed recently? The first thing that comes to mind, considering this is a recent interview, and I think it was a mind-blowing thing for me to receive, it shifted a major perspective in my perception of victimhood and survivorship in predatory behavior. In Kelly G's interview, I believe it's part two, called What Happens Next, which alludes to all the things that he's building from this major trauma that he faced at the hands of a former hockey coach. Kelly G highlighted the fact that predators often are built within the systems that allow them to behave in certain ways. When they can see those holes in boundaries, they abuse those boundaries and they hone their skills and their predatory practices over time. His perspective is that Of course, we can look for the quote-unquote bad guys and the perpetrators, but often they're built within these systems that allow that abuse to happen, like the abuse that he faced at the hands of his coach. And I thought that was really mind-blowing because it breaks down the stigma of it couldn't happen to you. Because again, this can happen to anyone. Trauma happens in all arenas and at the hands of all types of people. That was really shifting for me to hear. I have thought about it umpteen times since he said that. Yeah, I can't shake it. I think that if people have that perspective of it can happen anywhere and we have to fix the system that allows it, that would really be much more preventative, as he mentioned. We got a cool, interesting question. It says, what is a common thread you've heard from all of your guests? On What Came Next, we share a lot of different stories. There's a lot of different states of survivorship that we cover, a lot of crimes that are different. And it's in that vast array. I still hear a lot of similar answers sometimes. I think that one thing I do hear from all survivors is that one of the things that helped them through their trauma whatever it may look like or feel like or be, is that community was the thing that saved them in the deepest throes of their grieving. That's actually a theme in my book. One of the things that really saved me in all of this trauma and healing and parole hearings and everything that continues for us and everything that always comes next, community is that saving grace for sure, no matter what it looks like whether it's from school, sorority, church, family, friends, community is the common thread. That is one of the reasons why we created this show, to build upon the Something Was Wrong community. Another common thread that I've heard from all of my guests is that no matter how different all of our traumas look or the experiences that we've gone through have been different, at the core of so many of our experiences or at the core of processing our trauma, are similar emotions. And it really is a tie that binds between all of us. And I think a lot of trauma survivors can hear these episodes and hear a lot of pieces of their own journeys, even if their experiences are drastically different. I think it speaks to the grief that resides behind trauma. And I think it speaks to the humanity in all of our stories. The next question we got was, how can we prioritize ethics? when choosing true crime content to consume. 
I think that's a really great question, especially because that's one of our missions. I do believe that it's important to talk about the perpetrator in some ways and discuss methods of abuse and things like that. But ultimately, the lessons that we need to be taking away is how did these victims of this crime survive and how do they navigate the systems afterwards and what can we learn from their experiences? In terms of prioritizing ethics, I'm not an expert. I am, again, just a survivor who's taken in a lot of true crime at this point. I do have my degree in psychology and I taught English. So I think from that perspective, I understand storytelling and the way we think and feel to a certain level. Knowing all of that and experiencing all that I have, my suggestions, again, are to really just put the victim at the heart of the content. My belief is that there are so many true crime stories out there. At the very least, consent should be given. My number one concern and or suggestion is always to understand if there was consent given. My second thing to keep an eye out in ethics is I don't think it's entirely ethical to make a production and focus it on the perpetrator. And in that, especially to give empathy to that perpetrator. We've learned that people do a lot of good things to cover up their terrible behaviors or to earn social currency. In the end, those are my two major things I like to bring up to people is that number one, is it centering a victim and is it honoring and giving consent to that victim? On the other side, is it centering itself on the perpetrator? I do believe that there are just simple steps we can take as consumers to shift this arena and this perspective of how true crime is told. It really is impactful for us survivors when we consume it. We are out there. We consume our own stories, especially when we share sometimes. Some people don't. Some people will do a TV show and not watch it. One of my most recent guests, she's been doing media for 30 years. And once she does something, she does not look back. So everybody is different. But in my opinion, reframing true crime from a victim's perspective promotes more preventative measures and proactive futures, which really ultimately establishes deeper ethics. I'm really thankful for this question. It is, what do you find most fulfilling about doing the podcast? Personally, and if I'm going to be a little selfish in answering this question, what I find most fulfilling is that I feel less alone with every interview. I am also a survivor. I am a co-victim of murder. My brother is up for parole in another two years, even though he got the newest sentence that I mentioned in episode 13. The darkest times are all behind me. There's still more in the legal system, no matter what. So the most fulfilling thing for me is, again, community, to know I'm not alone and to be giving other survivors a platform to share and to release and to heal additionally is really, really cathartic for me, too. Another thing that's really fulfilling is knowing that with all the awareness we're bringing, Tiffany and I spawn change from that awareness. Your messages and support tells me that we're reaching people and making people aware. That is ultimately the most fulfilling thing, too. We received the question, after hearing all these stories, what are the first things that you would change about the legal system or the criminal justice system? That is another very layered question that I think I could talk about quite a lot, but I will say my number one thing that I would change that a lot of survivors have said and or touched on is that I would love to see statute of limitations abolished. 
I think it serves as a detriment to so many people. And it gives us a timeline on healing and understanding our trauma. A portion of my journey that I've shared is the sexual abuse at the hands of my brother. I didn't even know what had occurred until I was an adult and I had been freed of his abuse after my mom's murder. So for me to have that framing and then to be told, yeah, sorry, can't pursue anything, it's really difficult. I know a lot of people come to terms and even just share their trauma for the first time towards the age of 50. The average age of a man sharing their sexual assault is 52. That tells us that the system that receives those survivors needs to do so differently. And I think that the statute of limitations is one major flaw. Another thing is, I would really love if first responders, educators, all types of people, everybody, started by believing victims. There is an incredible organization called Eva Wai. It stands for End Violence Against Women International, and their job is to educate first responders about receiving and reporting crimes with victims involved. Generally women, but I do believe they work with all survivors of domestic violence, abuse, stalking, and all related crimes. Something that they've created is a campaign called Start by Believing. And just that simple notion really hit me hard. And it seems to be a recurring theme in a lot of the interviews that I do is victims go to report crimes and they're disbelieved, they're sent away, they're not received, they're not taken seriously, there's not even any sort of report. If they received people and then took that knowledge and the report and did a thorough investigation, I believe that so many more victims would be heard and more charges would be pursued because so many people are just turned away by that process and in that initial phase. I think just by starting by believing, you would inherently open the floodgates for even more people to report and to feel safe enough to be heard. And we would see probably an increase in statistics, but that's just because of reporting. But we'd also see probably a lot more prevention take place as well and or healing, even if it is after the fact. Another thing that I would love to see happen in the criminal justice or legal systems, born from a recurring theme that I hear from a lot of survivors, they struggled not only to be heard and seen by the criminal justice system, but they also just struggle to know who to report to. I faced that problem personally. When my brother was most recently charged, I could find very little information until I located the Prison Crimes Unit DA. And I didn't even know there was a prison crimes unit, let alone that the fact that that was the unit that I should be talking to in terms of the death threat that he had sent me. As I mentioned in What Came Next, Episode 13, The Darkest Times Are All Behind Me. It's really difficult for us when we're trying to wade through survivorship and grief and trauma to also figure out where to go for resources. I've heard it from stalking survivors, assault survivors, survivors of all types, basically lacking the knowledge of where to go to initially report. If someone is turned away at the police station, where else can they go? And there seems to be a lack of information in that sense. Victims and survivors are often left wondering next steps, and there is no easy website to go to or directory of different factions and organizations within the system. So 
I would make it clearer for survivors also when they are reporting where to go and how to report. I would also, on top of that, love greater links between factions in these organizations, meaning if you do reach out to somebody and they say, nope, this isn't the right place to report, a lot of times you won't be redirected elsewhere. There's a lack of communication. I've even had survivors like Jacoba Ballard report that in between different groups that were investigating the crimes, they basically lost paperwork in between those groups of investigators. Sometimes there's an issue of being in the same organization, the same office, the same area, and they still lack communication. So I would love to see greater communication between all the factions that serve victims. That would include victim resources. That would include the police. That would include all kinds of responders to crimes. I would love to see them have greater communication and greater ties between all of those factions in the government and the legal system and more awareness and how to handle perpetrators and victims. I got another question. It's what do you like to do for fun? Honestly, I'm a single mom, so fun is limited. But when I do, I really like to spend alone time. I laugh at myself because I've noticed something I do need to do in filling this role for what came next. I really do have to prioritize my own needs when I'm not working and when my kids are with my ex-husband. I love alone time. That is one of my hobbies. I like to travel. I like to cook. I love food. I like to write. I like to make stained glass. I like to box. I like to meet people. So sometimes going to survivors events, finding community, building community, that is a major hobby of mine. Thank you for asking. Here's another question from a longtime supporter and a person that I am extremely appreciative of, Ms. McKenzie, who is an amazing singer. One day, hopefully, I will see her on stage. McKenzie wrote in, what is the best way to practice self-care when you're an advocate for other survivors? That is an interesting question. Self-care is so personal. One thing that I will say that is really important to everybody who wants to practice self-care is that it's important to carve out that time. I'm really bad. I'm a Capricorn. I love work. I love what I do. I have it built in me. So even if I'm done with a task, I'll find something else to do and I don't stop working. So it's really hard for me to practice that self-care. I have to willingly and knowingly and effectively carve out time for myself to actually care for myself, no matter what that looks like. So for me, self-care will look like taking time to do a good skincare routine at night. It could be not working for an evening, or it could be slow roasting a meal all throughout the day. My self-care looks probably a lot different than other people's. It could be boxing, it could be making stained glass, breaking glass and making it into something beautiful is extremely cathartic. But again, it's not for everybody. So I would say my number one suggestion or way to practice self-care when being an advocate is making sure that you do carve out that time. Once you habitually do that, it becomes easier and you'll notice you feel a lot more balanced. And I know I do when I do that. This is a great question. They said, how can we as listeners support your work in victim advocacy outside of listening to episodes? I really appreciate it. A great way to support the survivors that we have on the show are follow them, go reach out, tell them that you heard the interview, that it meant a lot to you. Follow their nonprofits if they have one. Donate if you can. 
If you can't, a follow is valuable. Share content, that is super supportive, especially if it has to do with a survivor's organization or efforts. Every little bit helps. I hear from all of them in sharing ourselves in the media. It's kind of what carries us knowing that we're making a difference. Last question that we have is, what is your most downloaded episode? We have a couple. They're right neck and neck. Episode one, This Shit Doesn't End, is still our most downloaded episode to date. Really close behind is actually episode 13, The Darkest Times Are All Behind Me. That is the episode about the most recent 2023 events in my legal battle and what came next with that. Also, Tiffany shares her part in that day and in that hearing. I'm so thankful she was there, but it's really interesting that those two are the most downloaded. That to me is really special. It means that you're hearing our mission. We are so thankful for all the downloads and listens that we've gotten. Hopefully you can share the episodes that have left the biggest impact on you. Every share, every post, every message, every DM means the world, and it really does keep us going. We are also incredibly grateful for all the sponsors that we've had on the show so far and that we will continue to have. If any of the sponsors speak to you or the products speak to you, please support. The more support our sponsors receive from you guys, the more support we receive from them. It would mean a great deal to them, but it also would mean a great deal to us. We can't make this show without you. So thank you again. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at what came next underscore podcast. I'm Amy B. Chesler. You can follow me at Amy B. Chesler on Instagram as well. Otherwise, we are so excited to have your listenership and we will be back next week with another very impactful survivor. Thank you again. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Next week on What Came Next. He sang for me, you're going to miss me when I'm gone. I had tears in my eyes and I stepped back into the space where he was and I leaned in for a kiss. I said, I love you. Good luck. He said, I love you too, mom. And those were the last words I would ever hear from him. What Came Next is a Broken Cycle Media production co-produced by Amy B. Chesler and Tiffany Reese. If you'd like to help support What Came Next, you can leave us a positive review, support our sponsors, or follow Broken Cycle Media on Instagram at Broken Cycle Media. Check out the episode notes for sources, resources, and to follow our guests. Thank you again for listening.